0: All right, everyone. Today on the show, we have Kirk Scully coming to us from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, This is kind of a big picture episode. We talk about lessons learned from injuries, urban, a little bit of everything. Um, It's another long one, but Kirk's a deep thinker. So if you're into that, I think you'll like this episode. Uh, As always, make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at 2 Pod, and make sure to subscribe and rate the show. And yeah, that's all for the intro. Hope you enjoy it. So let's start with the first question. Um, Who are you and what do you do?
1: Uh, What's up? My name is Kurt Scully and I am a mutt. I'm a mutt. Um, But I, at this current stage in life, I'm doing a lot of freelance videography and this one comes out of left field every time, but I'm actually working part-time as a private investigator right now. Um, That's awesome, man. Yeah, I was, I was working at a restaurant. So I I moved to Jackson, Wyoming, like five months ago and it's like New York city, LA pricing, like it's super expensive. And so I had to like pick up a job working at this restaurant and that was great and all except, I don't know, restaurant, the hospitality industry. I think everyone should work in it at some point in their life because there's like so many lessons you can learn um, about just like how it feels to be treated and how you should like treat other people. Um, And like that was good and all, but there were a lot of politics that just kind of like got in the way. And then I started looking for random other side gigs and started delivering subpoenas. And uh, which led to like, I walked into a bunch of law firms being like, hey, I can deliver subpoenas, which led to an introduction at this like private investigative firm, which I'm actually sitting in the conference room of that right now. Cause I was like, hey, I need a good Wi-Fi connection. And yeah, so it's just been kind of like doing, doing what it takes to pay rent, and also kind of just yeah, being open to a lot of crazy random opportunities.
0: Yeah, awesome, man. Well, so we're here to talk about your um, your new freelance video company, but let's start out with how you got here because I know you from skiing. And yeah, so let's take a journey through through the Kirk Scully life. Let's see
1: let's see where you started and how you got to where you are now. Oh man. So throwing it back, throwing it back. Yeah. So we know each other from ski sundown, which is, Oh my God, what a, what a place. So yeah, taking it back. I mean, we could go super far back, but let's go right around to like what, like 13 years old. Um, I Like, fortunately, I mean, like, growing up in, like, a small little, like, suburb of Hartford, um, there just happened to be this random, like, niche of park skiing, mainly out of, like, ski, just ski sundown, and, um, yeah, when I was, like, around 13, I started getting really hooked on that, um, just, dude, like, 15 minutes away to go ski, like, night skiing at, like, ski sundown, which... Has always had such a sick park and like a park community um i don't know how that is now days i know line traveling circus still went there this past season
0: yeah but. i was just there uh, the, so this is my first time like first winter back at home since going to college and i went back and it's the same thing you know like it's hard it's hard to understand like how much is truly the same because you know it's a different perspective yeah. growing up yeah but there's still a ton of kids there shredding and those features are still sick yeah. so luckily
1: it's still it's still alive and kicking that's so sick dude that's so good to hear i remember jared moss he like i think he parted ways a few years ago and um that was i remember like finding that information out and i was like dang like that's a really hard uh seat to replace um And yeah, man, like any organization or whatever it is, is like only as good as the people that give a shit about it. It's sick to see like when there's a sick park crew, like how that trickles down to little kids growing up. I don't know if you remember like the ski sundown rail jam days. Oh yeah. Big time in the summer. Yeah, dude. Oh my God. Fall, like they used to have the fatties rail jam. They used to have like Simsbury celebrates um And then they just had like yeah all these rail jam series for like this span of four years right when I know I was getting like really stoked on skiing. Yeah, and then a little bit before that time they were doing and even even
0: while we were both there they were doing slope styles on like yep. It's it's funny it's it's hard to tell just who listens to this podcast but Ski Sundown is such a small mountain and so the fact that they were doing all this park stuff in just this random corner of Connecticut was incredible. So I highly encourage like everybody to check it out because it's something, it's a special place.
1: Dude, it's so sick. They used to have the uh, the S7, like the Ski Sundown Super Springs Spectacular or something. And then like that was like the day after the main event, like Burton main event, where they built this like $50,000 jump. That was just like a perfect like 60-foot takeoff to knuckle. And I remember I was like in like seventh or eighth grade and I just like did a straight air, like screaming semen on that thing. I was like (laughs) so fired up. Um, But yeah, super fortunate. So uh, I'm a very tangential human. So I'll try and stay on track here. Um, But yeah, man, got like pretty stoked on park skiing when I was young uh, and ended up, uh, yeah, throughout like high school with Connor Clayton and another homie, Chris Rula um some Simsbury boys uh we ended up getting like the opportunity to go ski at Mount Snow a little bit more um and joined like a competition team there and then had like a super fortunate opportunity our junior year of high school to go to Mount Snow Academy um which a few of the coaches at the time were like telling us they were like uh this is just it's just like an incredible opportunity to you know try and catch some sort of a break in the skiing scene which you know at that age like what you're 16 15 you don't even know what that means and I remember having this conversation with my parents they were like what's your goal with skiing and I was like to be a pro skier duh and they were like like what does that mean yeah and And what does it mean really yeah dude that and that that's been honestly that was like what like age 15 to like 20 were for me, um, because I was just so like head in the blinders, like focused on trying to uh, like make a name for myself. And like, uh, I filmed a few street segments and um, yeah, then like got to a point where I was like, oh my God, like hurting myself every season and just trying to evaluate a little bit of like risk and reward. And then really being like, whoa, like I guess like my parents and like like a lot of other people looking objectively at something like this, like don't understand. Like from uh if you're looking at it from just like a numeric standpoint as like, yo, know, I'm gonna be a professional in something, it's just such an incredibly difficult industry to like make that work without the like untangible stuff that you can't quite understand, like the community, the whether it's respect, whether it's like I don't know just like the art form
0: yeah it's not like other sports where there's such clear role models and such a clear path like if a kid says he wants to be a professional basketball player every single person knows what he's talking about they know the route, they know what it looks like but when you say you want to be a professional freestyle skier people
1: are the people
0: literally think like sean white and he's not even a skier you know totally
1: totally totally and like in high school, um, so out of our crew, uh, so it was like Connor Clayton, myself, and Chris Rula, uh, we all grew up like competing together. And dude, Connor Clayton, he had a, he had he not had injuries, he had a total shot at like competing. Kid was such a sick skier. And like I had a few injuries early on, like my ju- both. So I had the opportunity to go to Mount Snow Academy my junior and senior year of high school. And both years, my season got cut short and I ended up like, going back to my regular high school before the season was over because of injuries
0: yeah
1: Yeah, um which that whole just like roller coaster of emotions I I I never quite realized how much um like how much of a role injuries and like coping with injuries have played in my life just from like a resilience standpoint Mm -hmm. and like dude to my junior year of high school, I broke my collarbone three times in the same season. And every single time, and then like afterwards, still somehow had like the same dead set mentality on like, I need to make this work. And like, it was due to, it was like a few seasons still after that. And like a few more like serious injuries wasn't until like, I decided to go to college when things really started um, moving in different directions, but yeah, man, just like, I feel like I've learned so much about just like what humans are capable when they give a shit about something. Definitely. And so while you were injured,
0: like, especially during your high school years, what did you do to like, keep yourself occupied? Cause at that age, you have so much energy. And especially if like the only thing you want to be doing is skiing and you can't ski, like, what did you do with your time and just over, how did you overcome that?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um that's a really funny one to look at because uh both my junior year and senior year um dude, a big thing that like got me through a lot of those injuries was like having a girlfriend at the time and like other things in my life to focus on. Yeah. But like I wouldn't like I know my my senior year um, I actually like, I don't know how, how nitty and gritty we need to get here right now, but like beginning of my senior year, I got arrested. And so like that had already taken a turn like in my life and I had started like, that was I think a fundamental point point in just like a lot of life changes for me. And I started doing like a lot more stuff like outside of like just skiing. I think I started playing guitar my senior year of high school um
0: do you mind if I ask what you got arrested for
1: yeah for sure I mean classic park rat I like I like had like a like a like a a bag of weed on me
0: yeah yeah. um classic like small thing that now like now especially it's like oh my god I can't believe you'd ever get arrested for that but at the time like makes total sense
1: for sure for sure And it was I mean that like I could talk about that on its own for like a half hour and I won't but it was like a it was a yeah, it was a crazy thing in my life that like in retrospect needed to happen. Uh huh. Um, and yeah, man, like there's just so many points in my life where, um, it's been like, damn, like maybe like older people like looking down, like older people like sharing little insights of wisdom that like when you're like growing up, you think you know everything and like you don't. Definitely. And you're like, oh my God, like, whoa, that's crazy. Like, I get what they were saying. Yeah, that incident was kind of like a reality check for you. Yeah, for sure. Top of the
0: reality checks you're already getting, by getting injured.
1: Yeah. And like, so that that happened two weeks into my senior year of high school. And it's like my senior year of high school, um, like right after that happened, like I was, it was like this thing that happened like with, with my parents, right? My parents were like, they never yelled at me they were just like, yeah, we're like disappointed. And from my standpoint, I knew how in the wrong I was. And I I was like, the only way I'm going to get through this and like maintain a really good and like possibly even have a stronger relationship with my parents after this is if I like actually like make a change and like made some serious changes, like started taking school a lot more seriously. Um, And early on my senior year, got a girlfriend and then Dude, I think I, I picked up, I started playing the acoustic guitar mm-hmm. and just like a bunch of random stuff. I uh, was like a boy scout and like finished my Eagle Scout project. Um, that's awesome. What, what was your project? Uh, it was nothing crazy. There's like a local historical society in Simsbury. And uh, I, um, I built a flagpole with like a small little patio and compass rose at the bottom. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. it's cool to like drive by and see the flag flying.
0: Yeah, that's awesome
1: but yeah and so getting injured that year like my senior year of high school it was something where i felt like i had already been prepped for how to cope with that and but yeah man like if i didn't have a girlfriend or other things going on in my life and i've had injuries where that's been the case like it can become a very dark place
0: oh yeah it's kind of it helps to be like diversified in your totally. interests or just diversified in general. Like if you have one point of failure for anything, yeah, you're screwed if that thing fails.
1: Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Oh, dude, you gotta gotta always diversify the portfolio. Exactly. Interests, finances, everything.
0: Um so so coming out of high school, did you go to college right away?
1: No. Okay. So I never really knew and part of me that like i guess had like that first little real world encounter my senior year of high school like really like there there were like two parts of me one was like super focused and one was just like oh like i'll just do what everyone else says i should do because it's like the thing to do which was also kind of like the part of me that was just like yo like i just want to like hang out with my friends like go party like go drink and like be a social, like cool kid or like whatever, which I didn't really know why. It's yeah. just all like dumb stuff that kids just do. And there was a big part of me that was like, I don't know why I want to go to college other than like what everyone hypes up college to be this place to go party.
0: Yeah. And
1: I was at the time still like super focused and like had a ski coach at the time who he had a lot of faith in me. And he was like, man, like you should try and like go for it. That was right around the time when I uh, really met up with Lupe. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, Lupe like extended this opportunity. He was like, yo, um, I'm trying to really focus on filming like a lot of street this season and uh, would love to like have you um, like do the same and link up and like become part of the crew. And six days before I went to college, I deferred a year. That's, Uh,
0: that's wild.
1: Yeah, it was wild. Uh, and honestly, like few decisions in my life have ever felt more right.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. So, so instead of going to college, you, you defer six days before you enroll. Yeah. So what are you doing that whole year instead? So
1: until, um, until the first week of December of that year, um i continued working like i'd been working at a ski shop you know uh sun and ski sports
0: yeah that's actually a second bob chalet now
1: yeah it's bob chalet now yeah it used to be ski market so i was working there and working construction um like that summer and then made the decision and like i was like okay if i'm gonna do this like i need to have some money to spend um I, uh, yeah, just like worked seven days a week, all fall construction and at that ski shop, um, had like a few like flowed sponsors and like picked up a few more, um, through working at the ski shop, which was like one of my intentions there is just like meet some reps, uh, and yeah, uh, starting early December that year, um, just started hitting street with Lupe on the East Coast. And around January, late January, moved out to uh, Colorado and slept on a couch at this like two bedroom condo uh, up in uh, Wilderness in Silverthorne uh, with like Keegan Kilbride and like a few other people. We had like seven of us packed into this two bedroom place two couches both of them were filled just like classic st- I I honestly I can't even remember but I think they just let me stay there for free so I like ended up like hooking it up with like paid them some cash and cooked meals and stuff but yeah, yeah like did the full ski bum um, thing was like super focused on filming a street segment that year um, that had been something that like I'd been thinking about for a long time right but there's like logistics that go into that where it's like, you can't do that without a ski sponsor. Like, I mean, you go through like four pairs of skis easily, and that's like $2,000 on its own. Yeah. Uh, So before
0: we depart from that thought, so um, how are you approaching like these sponsors? Because that's definitely what like the kids that are listening to right now, especially the ones that want to get sponsored, whatever that means now. um, Like, how are you approaching these companies saying, hey, give me free stuff, give me money, I'm trying to film a
1: part? Totally. Um, I think a really good answer to that. And like, I'll give my own answer. But also if kids are like really interested in that, they should go back and listen to Connor Clayton's episode. Mm -hmm. Because I remember he touched on that. And Connor Clayton is like the marketing manager for line now. So he's the guy going around looking for people. And I think there's a few different things you got to like come around to like fully understanding the way the industry works. Right. And why do companies give people skis or potentially at some point like pay people to use their skis, right? And it's like multifaceted, but selling skis. It all comes down to like selling skis, right? And so if you're a super um like positive person and you're out there creating like an exceptional presence on the mountain, And like, just like, like in, like in real life, right? Like in real life, just like standing out and like, maybe not necessarily just like bringing attention to yourself, but like, you're just like a presence, right? That's like a big thing that ski companies absolutely love. Right. And like, I was always, ever since I was like a freshman, sophomore year of high school, always having people hit me up like, yo, like what skis should I get? Like I was a skier kid. And, like, that's the kind of stuff, like, that sells skis. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until, like, my junior or senior year of high school where I officially got, like, a ski sponsor. Um, And the way that I went about doing that was I just, like, it was my sophomore year of high school, I think. I, like, worked at a restaurant and saved up and bought, like, my first camera. Um, Stepped huge influence. And, like, Tom Walsh breaking onto the scene, just, like, making edits it was just like, oh wow, like you can kind of pave your own way. So I just started making edits with like Chris Ruhle Connor Clayton. Yep. Um, and then started like building like somewhat of a name for ourselves on like new schoolers. Um, and it was like my junior year of, uh, or my sophomore, I got plugged in with Fatty's local ski shop in Connecticut. Um, And so like, if you're looking at ways to like meet people in the industry, right? Like every single ski shop works with reps. So like get to know your local ski shop and just like build a relationship with them. Um, Like Bruce at Fatty's, he ended up introducing me to, I think it was like the Solomon rep, my sophomore year of high school. And, you know, like they didn't like give me free stuff but they gave me like pro forms, which was like 65, 70% off which all of a sudden like made it accessible to like possibly get like a pair of skis or two in one season Um, because I mean like if you're skiing park every day you go ski at a mountain like you break skis it's just like ski like no matter how well the skis are manufactured it's just it takes a toll on equipment Like, like they're not like it's so hard to manufacture a ski that can just put up with sliding rails all season long Um, and yeah like just figuring out ways to kind of stand out with those people in the industry Um, and I mean obviously probably like the most effective way to do that is have someone refer you and it wasn't until my I think it was like beginning of my senior year of high school and maybe it was the end of my junior year of high school where my ski coach he had like a really good relationship with the director of marketing at Fisher Skis um and he was always like super reserved it wasn't like oh like you like start skiing with him and like he is a ski coach so it's just like now going to get you sponsored like he was very anti that's the way it worked and he was like if i ever feel like you guys are at a point where you should be getting free skis and like working with a company then like maybe i'll make an introduction and end of my junior year he made an introduction to me and like stuck his neck out for me and That was like the biggest thing that could have ever happened because all of a sudden, like my senior year rolled around and it was like, whoa, like I could start thinking about possibly like going down this path. And like I was saying, I mean, like you can't film a street segment without like getting free skis. Like you can, it's just really hard. And so like there was there was like this big chunk in time of like my skiing where, like, and this is where, like, my parents, like, wouldn't understand it, right, where it's, like, I wasn't necessarily, like, getting paid, but, like, I didn't have to pay for anything, Yeah. so I was, like, on cloud nine. I yeah. was, like, oh, my God, like, the doors this opens up, and then my parents were, like, well, like, you know, like, you still have to, like, buy food and, like, rent, like, what are you gonna do? Like, how are you gonna do this? Um. And that was ultimately what, like, being an 18 19 year old and like 20 year old was like about was how like like how are you going to do this and like what actually matters
0: <laughs> yeah so i got a question for you before we go forward so there's gonna be kids that are listening to this they're like okay yeah i'll try i'll try my best to get sponsored but they're gonna say i want to film the street part now so do you think that they should wait until they have like 3 pairs of skis to go through or should they just go for it if they're really if they really want to film a street part?
1: Really good question. Really good question. I think there's a difference between like going out and like hitting handrails and like filming a street part. And I would encourage anyone who loves skiing and like like you have to be able to slide rails. Like huh. if you can slide rails and like you're looking for like a way to progress like skiing park would 100% recommend like go hit some handrails it's just it's such a unique experience and it's like it's sick it's so cool it's like it's a total art form you like look at the world in this way and you're like dude I could build something right there and like slide that and then like slide that and like you just you look at the world in like such a creative way and that was I think one of my biggest takeaways from skiing is like it really is such an amazing creative outlet and like art form and street skiing and like backcountry country are the natural progression to do that. But there's a difference between going and hitting some handrails with your friend, when like the local, like your local town gets dumped on and trying to film a street segment and like trying to film a street segment, like it's a, it's a, it's a crazy, it's a cra- it's just like a crazy experience. Like you talk to anyone about it. Um, who's done it and I mean there's a reason why like so many stepped movies had like some dark some dark segments in it yeah. because like people who are sick skiers hitting stuff in the street like it it's not that unheard of to fuck yourself up mm-hmm. and injuries just become so much more it's like it's like going to war straight up like I've hit a handrail before where mentally, like, my head, like, my brain, as I'm sitting there ready to drop in, I'm, like, ready to die, and, like, like, sending it, yeah, that's something where, like, I, I would say, I mean, like, if it's, like, a, it's, like, a rite of passage thing in, like, this ski community, where it's, like, I wouldn't jump the gun on that, and, like, it's really important to focus on, like, things that are fun with your friends, and, Hitting handrails can be really, really fun with your friends. Hitting handrails can also ruin your life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Straight up, yeah. Straight up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll make
0: it light. We'll make it light now. We don't want to scare right. these kids out of having fun. Um, so what was your experience like? Um, you're still here with us, so I'm assuming everything went well.
1: Yeah. Um, so, oh, man. Yeah. Um, so my experience and like, we're talking then just like skiing, like with the that, that <laughs> season,
0: the season of, uh, of filming your street segments. So like, who were yeah. you running with? What was the, uh, like kind of the process of scoping stuff out and getting your shots?
1: Yeah. Uh, so I was linked up with Lupe, um, for that whole year. It was myself, Lupe. Uh, and then when we were on the East coast, we, uh, linked up with the Dijons, um, oh, yeah. and Jared, Goom- Jay Gooms um and yeah like a few other people and um yeah it's just kind of like that whole so there were like multiple stages to the season and that like November and December I was still in and out of like working every day um just getting to the point where it was like starting to uh focus on skiing more and um yeah it was just like it was like a always oh, like growing up since I was 13 I've always had this like mental tally of like rails I've wanted to hit in like my area and it was kind of like I, I I I kid you not like in a sense kind of like this like rite of passage this like it's time to like step up and like do these things that I've wanted to do for so long and because I took the year off from college like I was very focused on filming a street segment And so, yeah, like that fall, there was this one huge down flat down at uh, CCSU, I think. And I like the first handrail I ever hit or like one of the first urban like little missions I went on, I was like 13 or 14 and we went to CCSU and I remember looking at this rail and being like, who in their right mind would ever hit that? And then we were like five minutes away from CCSU hitting a rail and like, I forget where New Britain or something with Lupe and like Jay Gooms. And I think some of the Dijons were there and I was like, yo, we gotta go hit this rail and took me like 15 tries and uh, like finally ended up sliding it. And like that, that, that like process, that just like mental exercise, which is I think far more applicable than just skiing of being a little kid or just like, not even being a little kid like you could be a 43 year old and have an idea about something be like oh my god like it'd be so sick to start a sock company and you're like no like that would be so dumb like i could fail just like that mental exercise of like having something that like freaks you out and like overcoming that is just like so sick and i think that is also one of like most important things that i ever took away from that year and that's what like filming that street segment was all about. It was like doing all these things that I had been watching other people do like since I was like 12, 13 years old and wanted to kind of go out and try and do it myself and nothing but positive memories from that year. Yeah. And
0: so once you're done with that, you know, cause that's like kind of like a coming of age thing, you know, like you said, you, yeah. look, you said you looked at it all your life and, um, and then you finally do it. And then you're like, all right, I've looked at those rails for my entire life and now that's done. What now? Like, how did you feel after the whole project was done and you're just completely like checked off all the
1: like the bucket list items basically? Dude, I felt, I felt like on cloud nine and I think that there was like an important difference between like confidence, overconfidence and like delusion mm-hmm. where like, I was like, I felt like I was on cloud nine. I had figured everything out, right? And um, I got like nine shots, I think, in this movie, The Coterie, um, which like ended up like I had gone to IF3 the year before. And then like I was on the screen at IF3 that next year. And like that was crazy, dude. I remember sitting there in the crowd and like watching, like just like seeing yourself on the big screen, like it's just a it's a crazy experience. But like that... So the summer before that happened, um, I like, I got signed with Shred Optics and I went out to Mount Hood with them. And like, I was staying in a house with like some people who I've like looked up to my whole life and like at a park shoot with them. And it was like everything I had ever dreamed of. And then I like broke my ankle sessioning the jump that trip and like came home and my parents, again, like, I think I have it all figured out. My parents were like, dude, like, w- you got to stop hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you should just go to college. Um, Which was a pretty like crazy crossroads in my life because, you know, like there's part of you that you have like this feeling inside where you're like, no, like, you don't know what's right for me, you don't know what's best for me. But then there's part of you that's like, well, shit, like all those other times that I like heard their voice in my head and was like, damn, like you were kind of right. There was just like part of me that like had to, I don't know, like, let go of like my ego and compromise in ways. And like the, the opportunity to go to college is like, something that I think so many people also like, don't, don't have and isn't quite like straightforward like I grew up in like a a decently I mean like privileged area like a suburb of Hartford Connecticut. Farmington Valley. yeah. Yeah Farmington Valley and um like my my dad's priority in life was to have his kids go to college like he wanted his kids to be educated. Mm -hmm. Um, his dad was a teacher and like it was something that he set money aside for and like had that not been the case where like he wouldn't have like he wasn't like pushing me to go to college I don't think I ever would have but that at that point like when I came back from Mount Hood with a broken ankle and like I thought I had just like accomplished it right like I thought I was just just got like I just barely got to the point where I felt like I could begin this career in skiing it was like this thing where I was like, damn, like I don't think I'm right.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I went to college that next year and took the winter off, um, that year as well. Uh, still had like a little bit of money saved up. And that was when I filmed, uh, with like Keegan and Lupe, and we made this movie Boo Fo. Um, which was, again, it was like, it was so sick and it, it felt like the dream was still so alive. Um, but I mean, like you go back and you watch my segment. I had a broken wrist for half of it. I didn't even know it because I went to the emergency room and they were like, yo, it's sprained. Like I broke my scaphoid and I had like, there was this battle. I remember I just said, I hitting this one rail, it felt like I was literally life or death. Mm-hmm. It was this white quad kink. And I, I had two pretty crazy crashes on it. And then I broke it. And so I had to walk away from this rail. Having not completed it. Having not completed it, which is like, dude, like that feeling of, I know this is going to work. And then like, it works is so sick. And it's just like such a powerful thing in life other than skiing. But then when it doesn't work, it's like, oh my God. And like, especially if there's like a brutal, like, physical, like mental, physical, emotional balance. Dude, you put everything on the line. Like, and that's one of those things that like, I, another thing skiing taught me is like, holy crap. Like you meet Lupe, dude, Lupe doesn't leave anything on the table. Dude, that kid puts every single ounce of everything he has into things he does. And he's one of the most hardworking and passionate kids I've ever met. And like, He's just such a stand-up dude that it's just when you put everything you have on the line and it doesn't work out, it's a crazy crazy place. And um yeah, filming that segment like after I hit that rail, I I was broke off on the couch for like a week and a half and like I was like pretty depressed. Mm-hmm. And it was like pretty crazy. To to like go from like you you feel like you're on top of the world and then like you're not and like your body just hurts and then, um, yeah, I went back to college that spring and found out like five months later that I had a broken wrist and like needed wrist surgery and I still have the scar right here. Oh yeah. And that was like a pretty crazy moment where my parents were like you're lucky like we have health insurance and
0: like Especially waiting on it for five months. Like that's not, that's not good to have a broken wrist for five
1: months. Dude, I was working construction that summer. And like, I remember like complaining to my boss and then all of a sudden, like one day I give him a call. I'm like, Hey, so like my wrist is broken. Like I'm getting, I'm getting surgery next week. It was just like a pretty crazy mental roller coaster to go through again and like i to think about how many injuries like i've been through and like how like with with each and every single one of them i mean like anyone that's been injured like they know like it's like there's ups and downs like you it's it's a roller coaster and like there's a little bit of like resilience that comes with that and um that was like a powerful thing that i learned about myself but you only have so much of that mm-hmm especially
0: when the returns aren't clear, like you're, you're trying so hard to be like, to chase this like idea of, of being a professional skier. You're getting hurt, racking up all the, all these medical bills on the way. And then like the, the reward isn't even super clear. Totally.
1: You know? And then complicated again, my freshman year of college, I was a super unknown semifinalist. Oh, that's sick. I actually didn't know that. Which was like, yeah, that was that was like a, a pretty crazy and like special thing for me. And uh, I think I just recycled my street footage from the season before. Cause I remember because Lupe, Lupe and I had been like hitting stuff all that season before. And like I was like another rite of passage, right? Is like you gotta submit your super unknown. And um Lupe didn't want me to like leak all the spots that we had hit. Cause I mean, like you hit anything for a season. It's like you kind of both hit everything together and um yeah, so I like used those all like the following season. And that was like my freshman year of college when I was filming Bufu with Keegan and Lupe. And um, yeah, got like super unknown semi-finalists. And it was again, one of those things that like in your head, you're like, it's super validating. But then you're like, well, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. And like I'd signed like a contract with like a, comp- like a few little companies and like one of them being Shred Optics, right? Where like I was getting a little bit of money But then I remember having this one conversation where my mom, she was like, Kirk, you know how quickly you could make that money? Mm -hmm. How much money are we talking about? $2,000. For the season? So that was my base. And then I had like a little bonus schedule. And honestly, like, I don't even remember like what it capped out at, but like definitely no more than $6,000. And that was for the season. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So she's telling you, hey, like, In the real world, that's not going to cut it.
1: In the real world, you're living below the poverty line. Yeah, well below it. Well below it. And I remember, you know, like that was another one of those crazy moments where like, there's like, okay, there's confidence, there's overconfidence, and then like there's delusion. And it's like, well, shit, like, where am I? Because like, I feel like I'm just in pure confidence. And then to complicate everything else. And this is crazy. But the year, the summer going into my freshman year, um, you know, Matt Heffernan. That name sounds very familiar. Um, so really sick skier. Um, he was in like the hood crew. He passed away a few years ago. At the time, like where we are in the storyline or is this after? Yeah, where we are in the storyline. So that, that would have been what? That would have been like summer of 2015, I think. Mm-hmm. Or summer of 2015, summer of 2016. But growing up, like he was like this super sick skier, and like I skied for Fisher at the time, and he skied for Fisher at the time. And I always remember looking up to him and uh and and like like seeing like like it was, like it was a very realistic approach to skiing for like where I knew like my ability was and just like my like trajectory was where I saw a lot of myself in him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And like he had like, you know, like a, like the hood crew, they had like, like Scrappy Joe Young, like Matt Heffernan, like all those guys had like a, a huge presence on New Schoolers which was like the way I was headed and like wanted to do. Um, and yeah, like met him and like we like skied a bunch in Summit County uh, the season before I went to college and then that summer he passed away cliff jumping. And within two weeks of that, like another homie, Eric Richardson also passed away, Rachman. Rest in peace, both of those homies. Like it was another one of these things where like at this point in time where I was kind of like sitting there with this, like, I feel confident. Like, is this overconfidence? Is this delusion? Like, where am I? I like both of those things happened and it, it dude, it like it destroyed my world it like destroyed like this, this just like confidence bubble I built up in my head, right? Where it's like, not only had I been struggling with injuries but then these like two homies, one of whom I saw so much of myself in like passed away. And it was like, holy shit. I like pictured my mom getting that phone call. And like, it was, dude, it was just, it was a very it was a very crazy like turning point for me where I went, I went into like that next season and then having broken my wrist and like been being at college, like my parents were just pushing me to go to college. And like, I didn't have the confidence anymore to be like, no, you're wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm, so while you're telling that story, it's making me think of, I, I forget where I saw this and I forget what it's called, but it's like a process of confidence and it keeps on going back to confidence. So I feel like I should interject this. So there's a point where you, you're young and you're ignorant of everything, Mo- you're ignorant of most things, but you feel really confident. And then the more you learn and the more you realize you don't know, that's when you drop off that that cliff and you don't feel confident at all, you know, and then you're down in this valley and then that's when you start building real confidence. You know, it's not confidence Ooh. built on this like little delusion, like this little fantasy. It's like, damn, I know nothing. And then you actually put in the real work to become legitimately confident
1: in what you can do. Absolutely, man. And like, I like really had like one of those. And like, I mean, I'm sure there's like, that's like a, a con. So, exactly what you're talking about right there. Um, I think there's like probably one big turning point of that in someone's life, but then that should be a reoccurring circle. Mm-hmm. Like, that, like, and I think it becomes an issue when it's not. And this has actually been something that I've been like super passionate about. Like, in the past like year or two, especially with just like, when you look at like the political setting in our country and not gonna get into politics, but also with everything that happened with like all the protests, um, like there's so many people that have this, this like view of the world constructed, right? And like, it's so comfortable to know. It's so comfortable to have like an idea of like what's right or wrong. It's like, oh, like I'm not racist. What do you mean? It's like, it's so comfortable to just like build up this idea of what your reality is and then like not step outside of it and be like, oh, holy shit. Well, like, I don't know what it would be like to like grow up in the inner city as like a young black man. Like Mm -hmm. that's a crazy experience where like, I don't know, it's just like this, this like questioning of your own reality, exactly what we're talking about, like breaking down that confidence to actually accept that it's like, oh my God, like maybe I don't, maybe the world doesn't work the way that I thought it did. Mm -hmm. And like, that's such a powerful thing that like we have to continually strive to like keep doing is like continually questioning what, like however you wanna phrase it, like I don't wanna sound too out there, but like continually questioning your reality right and like wisdom is knowing what you don't know and like knowing that like maybe even like when you do know something like it's still a guess
0: yeah it's it's for me this is how I always think about in my life it's like do you want to be legit or not like anybody anybody can pretend to be anything they want but like what's really impressive is being legit and doing the work and actually realizing that you're a joker who knows nothing. And then working from that point, like breaking down your whole ego and then building up from, from the point where you realize, yeah, I know nothing at all. Let's move from here. Because if you go around pretending,
1: I know this, I know that things aren't going to work out. Things aren't going to work out. My grandfather will always be smarter than like, uh, so smarter is not the word right word. Right. But my grandfather, he was a school teacher and he read so much. He had a saying for everything. He had like this insane, just, just database, just like word bank to just pull from at any given point. And he would always say, "You can't bullshit a bullshitter." And like I, like I've just learned so so much through just like the way my grandfather would always just like look at me and like my life cuz like he like he would always be like like what are you just going to like ski for the rest of your life? Like I remember being like 14 years old and being like yeah dude like you don't get it. Like you don't get it, right? But then like coming to this point where there was like a little bit of compromise where it's like okay, like I don't not know what I'm doing, but like damn. That man is fucking wise. Yeah,
0: definitely. So what was, so after, so after this turning point for you, where did you, where did you rebuild from there?
1: Yeah. So turning point. So I'm assuming the turning point, let's call it wrist surgery post-freshman year of college. Um, Came back to school that sophomore year. And like, it was a bit, like, I couldn't, I didn't have, I didn't have it in me to like film street again, which was a crazy thing because like, there's also so like what we were just talking about right this like whole breaking down like your confidence and then you're like not confident Mm -hmm. like that can be a very like uncomfortable place yeah like that's either like give in or try to try to build upwards you know totally and like and like dude i was i was at college like like going to university of denver which i mean it's not like an insane school by any means it's not like a fucking ivy league um they love to position themselves like that but it's definitely not, but like, it was still like a, like a trimester school. So it was like 10 week semesters where like, I've never thrived in the classroom naturally. Um, like I'm pretty all over the place and like struggle with focusing. And so like, it was super hard. And like, I was like, just getting kicked in the balls Mm -hmm. (laughs) over and over again, being like, Oh my God, like I thought I was so right with like skiing and then breaking down to this point where I was like, okay, like, let me take this thing seriously. Like what I have in front of me. It wasn't like I, I was left on the streets and didn't have anything to do. Didn't have anywhere to go. It's like, okay. Like I have a logical path right in front of me right now. And that's getting an education. So like, why would I not get an education? And my sophomore year, like started really taking college seriously. Um, and that was when like college became my primary thing. I was there to go to college officially. And that was when like my relationship with skiing kind of like took another turn. And um, yeah, wow, it's crazy looking at this at this timeline, but like, yeah, my sophomore year um, with a few other friends, it was like a, a crazy happening of like a bunch of people doing uh, something at the same time where, I teamed up with a few other, uh, like super rad people at university of Denver. And like, we started this club called D free ride, um, which was a whole other crazy learning experience because just like dealing with the school and like trying to convince them that like freestyle skiing is like sick and yeah. something that people want to do. Um, I feel like you need to do that in Denver, but I guess you did. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so like that was a whole other turn of events. And like later that year, we did this competition called Red Bull Bracket Reel. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was like probably the craziest intersection of school and skiing, where it was like a new avenue for me to like take skiing, where we just like rallied a group, a crew of seven people. And we had to like make a new edit every single week, um, and it started out with like, like, there's like some crazy amount, like 50 to 50 to like 100 different colleges that applied. And then they like accepted 16. And then you went head to head with a new school every week after you made a new edit. And like, we ended up winning that whole, like, making it to finals and like winning, which was like over 7,000 votes or something. Um, which like instantly gave like the club that we had started at the University of Denver, like DU Freeride, like credibility from the school standpoint. And it was just like a crazy experience where like they flew us out to Whistler. And uh, it was another one of those moments in like a different context where you have this idea and then you like work hard at something. And then all of a sudden, like it pans out and like it happens and you're like, whoa, like that's cool. And like it rebuilds your confidence a little bit. Yeah, And then after that, I remember I was like, damn, I'm still broke. How could I get something like, and started realizing the power of being on a college campus. It's like, you could spread an idea like wildfire. And yeah, like end of my sophomore year, I started this little clothing brand, um, Genie, which was like kind of the culmination of, me like just accepting that I was like going to business school (laughs) and actually engaging it engaging with it and actually engaging with it um I just have like a weird amount of energy and like I get super depressed sometimes like when I'm like not doing anything with it and I still like I like to think that's a good thing I mean sometimes it's annoying sometimes I'm like damn like why can't I just not always be doing things but I'm just happiest when I'm like always focused on something and like engaged. It's like, it's like what you were just talking about with like confidence, breaking it down. And then you either shy away or you like flip the switch and you're like, okay, like let's learn or like whatever. Let's like rebuild. Let's build actual confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Let's build actual confidence. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I think it's good
0: to note that like all these experiences that you had in college, Wouldn't have been possible if you didn't change, change course and actually go to college, you know, like just because one door shut doesn't mean everything's over. Like you were still involved with skiing in college, even though you
1: turned your back on like the ski bum life, you know? And in like, dude, so that sophomore spring, um, of college, like when we were doing that Red Bull competition, like Lupe and like a bunch of homies that were all in Summit County like Red Bull had this event I think it was like Red Bull Slope Soakers and it was like down at Copper and um like I was I was still like Lupe was still like one of my close and he still is I don't talk to him like nearly as much anymore but he's still like one of my closest friends and probably always will be um but yeah, like we like all went down there. It was like the weekend of my 21st birthday, and like Red Bull put us up in like two slopeside condos. And it was like one of those moments where it's like, damn, like things like this wouldn't have happened if I didn't like take this turn and like go to college. And then to be able to like bring that back and be like, yo, like summit homies, like come crash at like two slopeside like condos in Copper Mountain, while like Red Bull is just like throwing like a sick party it was like it was super cool and like special to kind of have those overlaps still yeah so looking
0: at like that relationship between you and lupe um you know because you said Lupe's really he never he never gave up on on the dream you know like yeah was there ever points where you were talking to him and you're like man like we have different like outlooks on this whole thing yeah is that, is that how it was was there any truth to that
1: um yeah i, I mean i think a little bit and uh I mean, another thing to like take into account here is like Lupe and I have like pretty different like upbringings and um, I actually, so like it, that's I think one of the, one of the biggest things that um, I think is so inspiring about Lupe. Um, he doesn't have like a straightforward like backstory. Yeah. Um, and like, that's something where like, I'm not gonna go on here and like talk a lot about that. But, um, I am working with him hopefully like in the next like year or two, um, on trying to help tell that story a little bit. Um, because like skiing was, and like in his mindset, it was always, um, it was always like his way out, if that makes sense. It was like his, his way to like work hard and like make it in some capacity, right? And just like the nature of the industry just make something like that, like like the whole like idea of like being like a rock star, like making it like touring the world, like making a lot of money. It's just like not a reality in skiing and especially like street skiing, which is a pretty new thing, right? That is very like bootstrapped, like do it yourself. Like even crews like stepped productions dude that was so bootstrapped like they fortunately had like the right connections to then like get companies like monster and like but companies that actually have a budget but like there's a reason they they, they're not making street movies anymore because it's just far more lucrative to like go into the commercial world which Mm -hmm. they're crushing it in but that's something where like when it came to when it came to like Lupe and Mai's mindsets um Like, we just kind of had, like, different, different, different backgrounds. And um, that kid, that kid has a bright future ahead of him. And um, I just, like, just in, like, the amount of time that I've known him, just seeing how much he's, like, grown and matured, he's, like, he's, like, he's, like, a wise man. He's like a like a like a, a wise man like maybe his next step will be like going on to like a, a buddhist monastery or something <laughs> and just like becoming like a guru no that would be wild but um yeah we just had like i i had i had like an opportunity and like i have two older brothers who they both went to college and so like there's like a little bit of that where like my dad kind of had this idea in his head that he wanted his kids to do like he wanted all three of us to go to college he wanted us all to be eagle scouts and go to college like those were the two check marks really Like i barely hit the eagle scout one like i got arrested and was like oh i should probably like focus on this <laughs> and like not be the screw up like black sheep of the family um and Yeah. Like we had the same exact mentality. And I remember there was this exact conversation. I remember we had where I was like, yo, so like, dude, my parents really want me to go to college and like, I don't know what to do. And it was kind of like this conversation where I was mentally right where he was Mm -hmm. like, like the right decision didn't feel like going to college full time. Wow. Like that was so far from the right decision of what it felt like, but that was where I like stepped outside of my own ego and was like, damn, like I really look up to my brothers. I really look up to my parents and like, I'm just going to have to accept the fact that they might know what's right for me in this moment.
0: And I think that, I forgot where I heard this the other day, but it's like, sometimes it's better, even if you don't fully know what you're doing, it's better to just do what's commonly regarded as, as the right thing. And then, then you adjust course along the way. So like everyone says, says save and invest your money. Don't try to outsmart everyone when you don't know what the hell you're doing. Like go with the common wisdom first. And then, and then once you finally know something, then start forging your own path. I think think that's kind of what you did. You're like, I don't really know exactly what I, I should do. So maybe I should listen to the people around me that might know something
1: more than me. Totally. And, but also then like to take into account, right. And like, this is something that I've also like come to terms with and like understood is like, I was privileged. Like I had the opportunity, like I worked hard in high school, like, and I like, got into a decent college. Like I, like I the I, like, University of Denver, it's not like an insane school, but like, I like, <laughs> yeah. I I had the opportunity to go to school there. And But not only that, and like, just because like, It was my, my dad's dream was to pay for his kids to go to college. Like that was such a insane value that my dad had and had I, and, and like, it's crazy to think about, right? Because I wouldn't have gone to college if that wasn't what he wanted. And so that's something where like now realizing that that did actually make a really positive impact on me is kind of like a testament to like that whole entire, like, wow, like his values were in somewhat of a, a right place. Now, like, I don't think college is for everyone. Especially if you're gonna graduate with a bunch of debt, which I don't, I don't believe you did. Especially if you're gonna that. graduate from a, a, a bunch of debt, which like, I fortunately didn't have to do. And like, I realize how privileged that is. Like, that's so incredibly privileged. And that was a big thing that I built up a ton of guilt about. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, dude, I remember going out to, going out to Oregon right? Like the year before I went to college, uh, I spent like the spring classic, just like followed the ski industry, camped and like spent, I, I think I, I got a room in like the summit apartments um, for 400 bucks for the month. And like, you share it with three other people. You like share the common space and have your own bedroom. And I remember like walking in being like, oh, like I'm from Connecticut. And dude, like one of my roommates, he was like, stupid, rich kid immediately right off the bat he was like stupid rich kid and i'm sitting there and i'm like like this relationship will always be founded on that statement like he has a perceived notion of who i am right and like it was it was just it was crazy and like there was a point in my life where like i built up like i don't have like a trust fund like i I didn't grow up from some stupid wealthy family but like my parents paid for my college like that's pretty crazy to think about like i never like, I, I was, I, I got to go to a ski academy for like a year or two. And like, that's such an insane, like privilege that when I did end up going to college, I was like, holy shit. Like, I'm lucky. And like, I need to not, like, I need to actually do something with this. Like, I need to, like, I need to take this seriously. Because like, I'm in a, such a fortunate position in my life, where I like have this opportunity, it's like, oh fuck, like my plan's not working out. Well, like let me just go to college. That's like in between forty and sixty thousand dollars a year. Like that's kind of fucked up that that was just like an option I had. And well, I don't know so- if you
0: sh- I don't know if you should necessarily feel guilty that your parents made good decisions, you know. And I think that you 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 recognize the opportunity and took it, which I think is a good thing.
1: Yeah. And I, I, and like, I, I don't beat myself up about that anymore. Um, and, but like, that was like a big thing I had to kind of like understand. And, and that's like a, a, another one of those things, right? Where it's like confronting things in your life. Like it's like anxiety, like, ang- like, yeah. Like I've, I've been in points in my life where I'm like, yo, I have anxiety. And it's like, you can let that cripple you. Or it's like, oh, that's like a little bit of like an indicator of something else. Um, and like, I had a bunch of guilt around like this privilege and like, it's not like even like an insane level of privilege, but like, it's definitely privilege. And I struggled with this too. I spent some time in Africa where I'd be like, holy shit, like what a crazy life experience that like, I picked this random card and like my biggest, my biggest issues in high school were like skiing and like ski injuries which is like such an insanely just like privileged sport what the fuck is skiing dude
0: yeah i've I've thought about that often
1: yeah i think about that all the time dude
0: and then we just chase each other around with video cameras
1: and then we just chase each other around with video cameras and like call it art
0: yeah (laughs) it is it is pretty weird when you really when you really think about it like what what other sport what other sport do you go around besides like you know skating and bmx like do you go around chasing each other with a camera it really is art it's more art
1: but it's so sick dude and like that's that's again something that it's like i net like i i was just i was just talking about this with a buddy it's like you never like realize what you have and like and like dude, there's something so special. Like one of my biggest reasons for like commending you for doing a podcast like this dude is there's something so special about the ski community. And like, I mean, new schoolers has like kind of turned into like a lot of kids just shitting on each other. And like, it's just fucking ruthless sometimes. Um, so like, that's not the direct community I'm talking about, but like, still like a sick community, but like, The friends I've met through skiing and like through us being like, whoa, like you also have a fascination for like setting up a jump onto a handrail that other people would like use walking down the stairs and like being okay with eating shit in the middle of the staircase, possibly head first, and then like taking your skis off and doing it again for a stupid four second clip. Like there's an insane like shared connection there and like a community that I've never experienced in anything else.
0: Mm-hmm. So I was just talking about this recently. So I think that like, I, I was actually talking about something on, on another episode, maybe with uh dubs, but um, the ski community, you're constantly, constantly looking like an idiot, like just all the time learning, learning to ski, you look like an idiot all the time. And I think that's what bi- bonds everybody together. Everyone has to shed their egos and be like, okay. Yeah. I don't know how to do anything. Like you could, you could be completely inferior to somebody in, in every, or completely superior to somebody in every way. But if they know how to do a trick that you don't, you need to rely on them to teach you. And it's just, a, it's very humbling all around. Same thing with putting out edits. Same thing with making a podcast. Like totally. you start from a point where you don't know anything and then rely on your peers to figure it out. Totally.
1: Which like, if you think about how we're wired as like animals, right? Like we used to have to like do that exactly what you're talking about to like survive yeah and like we don't have to fight for our survival anymore which is like a big reason why I think there's so much like mental health issues in the world it's just like like we're wired to like seek out threats but then it's it's like crazy to be like okay like take like survival out of the picture like what are these animals going to do? And then you see them like hitting handrails and it's like, well, that's kind of fascinating. (laughs) I totally did not see them going that way, but like sick.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's get this back on track. So, so you're in college, you're, you know, you're doing all these different things. What, what's happening towards the end of your college career. And as you're entering like the real world, even though in my opinion, it's been the
1: real world the whole time, but anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, what? End of my sophomore year, um, I was drunk at a party, and like it's a denim themed party. Everyone was wearing blue jeans, denim jackets, and I was like, "Damn, no one wears this shit every day." Like, literally, everyone just got this shit from the clo- from the thrift store, and it's just gonna sit in their closet. For the rest of the semester. And then, like, maybe at the end of the semester, they'll like throw it away. And I started thinking about like clothing waste randomly. I was like drunk at a party and I was like, damn, like, that's a thing. That's pretty crazy. Um, I was like, what if I like made beanies out of recycled jeans and called them the genie? And um, it was like a terrible idea. I was drunk but I started walking around this party and like telling everyone about it. And everyone was like super hyped. But this one chick, this one girl, she like looked at me in the eyes, looked straight through my soul. And it was like classic, like it was like questioning my follow through on ideas, which like I always have ideas, but like sometimes I like never do anything about them. And she was like, yo, like let's do that. And boom, flash forward like two months, we took an entrepreneurship class and started this uh, little clothing company called Genie, um, which like the underlying concept of the name was that like clothing waste is a thing. And like, I ended up like actually like becoming fascinated with clothing waste, did a bunch of research into it. And dude, it's like a huge problem. I mean, like you think about it, like I mean, there's so many big problems in the world and I'm not saying clothing waste is like the biggest one, but I mean, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a crazy problem. Um, like we're just so, such a wasteful society, um, ended up focusing on that. Like my sophomore, junior and senior year, like kind of ended up taking over my life. Um, we started just making like pocket t-shirts with all the pockets made out of upcycled materials. Um, which doesn't do anything in the grand scheme of like actually reducing any clothing waste at all. And just creates more, um, which was like a harsh reality I had to come to terms with. And, uh, yeah, like that all that like became my life, my sophomore, junior, senior year. Um, and I like, I had like a double major at the time and I was like marketing and emergent digital practices, which was like, kind of like this new media art it was, a, and like, I'm, I'm, I consider myself like a creative, like an artsy kid. It was too artsy fartsy for me. Like I, I couldn't take it. And then like started this clothing brand, like took an entrepreneurship class and at, ended up like adding an entrepreneurship minor. And then like, was a marketing, like business major, entrepreneurship minor, and um, kind of ended up taking that seriously for like a few years, like uh, got good at, like took classes on like pitching to investors and like ended up like doing a bunch of like small little like contests like that. And, um, like it became like a cool thing, like around campus. Like it was cool. Like, like kids would be like wearing our shirts and word got around. Like kids wanted, like would dude, I, I collected so much secondhand clothing in my garage. Like you would walk in my garage and you'd be like, this kid's a freaking hoarder. I would have bags and bags and bags of old clothes, which was sick because like, that was the whole goal. It was like, everyone's just gonna throw these away in the first place where it's like, how can we not, like, how can we figure out a way to um, turn this into something uh, like, how can you create more of a circular economy, became fascinated with the idea of a circular economy, um, ended up taking an internship opportunity uh, to go research secondhand clothing markets in Uganda. Like in order to graduate. So it was like the summer, I was seven credits short um, of graduating, Uh, but so like I got to walk on time and like I walked, but then had to like finish up an internship that summer and did that in Uganda researching secondhand clothing markets. And yeah, dude, like leading up to graduation, I was mentally prepared. I was like, I'm gonna go do this internship and I'm gonna come back to Denver and I'm going to raise money from investors and possibly get like another side job if I can't like raise money and just focus on this clothing brand. And then I went to Uganda and like everything changed. My whole, like so much changed. It was like the best thing that could have like ever happened to me and has put me on the path that I'm on right now where um, I feel like the past two years have been like the biggest years of growth Like for me, um, we were just kind of talking about that whole like confidence, like ignorance thing. And I mean, dude, I'm I'm like a firm believer in the fact that like all of the issues we have right now with just like racism, like the political just landscape. It's just people like not willing to step outside like their comfortable construct that they've built for themselves which like can be values, right? And like, I'm not like anti-values, like you should stand for things, right? But like, if you standing for something is gonna get in the way of like your empathy or like understanding how someone else views the world, then like, I think that's a toxic thing and leads to a terrible place. And um, yeah, again, very tangential human being, but like circling back, I like went to Uganda that summer and um, through skiing, like I've always been a big, like love filming, love like filming and editing. Um, I was never like super stoked to be the filmer, but like, it's just always an ingrained part of like a ski crew. I mean, like at one point in time, like I was hitting handrails with like Lupe and like one other homie. And like one of us is running the winch. One of us is filming, one of us is skiing. So like, you have to be doing one of them at all times. And, but like, I always loved the artsy side of like crafting and like editing my own segment and never really realized like that I got like good at that and like liked editing and like filming. um And then I was in Uganda and like I had my camera with me and like I've got like a Ronin. I had a Ronin. I still have it actually. I'm about to retire it. Um, but I, was like working at this plastic collection site for a few months where um these people were like there were about 40 regular plastic collectors and um they would walk like anywhere from three to 10 kilometers a day and dig through the landfill just like pick up trash on the side of the road and bring like a few kilos of plastic bottles to this plastic collection site for the equivalent of like in between $1.50 and like $2.50 a day. And I remember like the way that they looked at me as like all of a sudden like now I'm this white guy who's here at this plastic collection site. Like I must have something to do with this plastic collection site existing. Like the way they looked at me with like this like gratitude and like appreciation for the opportunity they had. Like, something just, like, struck my core with that. And I became, like, fascinated with, like, trying to, like, document their stories and, like, storytelling, essentially. And I was, like, it was this moment where I was, like, holy crap. Back to, again, like, a little bit of the privilege thing. But it wasn't as much of a guilt with that. Like, I'd already been through that rabbit hole, that mental rabbit hole but that was something where it was like, holy crap, like there are so many people on this planet and every single one of them has a story. Mm-hmm. And like, that's crazy. Especially when you come from like America, which is basically, it, it it's just an imbalance. Like we're imbalanced with the global population. Like our footprint, the average, like, Just so far, very far removed from anything beyond
0: our borders. And I think that's probably, it's mainly, I think the the large part of it is just geography. We're just surrounded by oceans and then, you know, Canada to the North and Mexico to the South, like pretty disconnected from a lot of the vast majority of people living in the world. Totally. Mm -hmm. We're on our own little island out here.
1: I, and I I don't know if this is right off the top of my head. I don't know if you do any fact checking, but maybe let's do some like fact checking or something. Um, But I'm pretty sure like the average, like the average income, like globally is like $2.50 a day or something. Um, I could like Google it right now. But anyways, it's like, if it's not the average, it's like what majority of the global population makes a day. And like, that's pretty crazy to think about when we live in like the US.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna do some quick math.
1: I can pull it up. I could be totally wrong too. 26 a day. $26 a day, yeah. Okay, so that's the global average. Great. Yeah. $26 a day. So that's a lot more than 250, but still it's... in the same exact impact. Yeah, very low. Um and like that's just a really crazy thing to really like think about. Um but like yeah, uh while I was also in Uganda, I like met this local music producer um which was crazy. It like this dude was the man and he was like a local legend. And I, he saw, I had my camera and like my Ronin and he was like, yo, you wanna film me a music video? And I was like, what? Like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Um, Ended up like planning this shoot like three days later. And dude, talk about one of the craziest experiences of my life, there I was like, this white kid in Uganda. And like, I I directed this crew of like 30 local Ugandans with the language barrier to like shoot this music video. And like we shot all day, like 10 a.m. I think we like just finished filming right when the sun went down, which was like 8.30 p.m. And I just remember, like finishing that like shoot. And at a time where I had been really struggling to do like the actual work that I was there to do, all of a sudden I just like edited like this music video in three days and was like actually stoked on the result. I was like, damn, I've always kind of neglected this whole like videography side of my life And like the combination of like the like making a music video in my head was like the same as like making a ski segment, right? You're like editing something visual that like in some way, shape or form like tells a story to like music. Like I was always focused on editing to music. Like that was such an important part for me. Um, And like the combination of that and like just like meeting all these people that had just like such crazy life stories compared to me Um, I was like, damn, I kind of need to like take a pause and like question everything that I thought I was going to do when I moved back. And I think I want to like start working towards pursuing videography Uh, back to Denver. The first week I was back in Denver, my car got broken into, got all of my camera gear stolen. Terrible. (laughs) Which was also crazy. And dude, I had a full blown anxiety attack when I realized all of my camera gear was in my car, like it was crazy, dude. Like I started hyperventilating, like my hands went numb, my face went numb, crazy. It was not as clear of like, I just got back to the US, I'm super stoked on videography, like I'm gonna do this. Like I was, I had a business partner with this clothing company that like our whole plan was to like stick our heads down our nose to the grindstone and like walking away from that and like something that again in some way shape or form I had built up I had used as like a device to build up confidence in myself it was like walking away from that was like really crazy and like again I had to take a huge step away from my ego and like came right back to this place of being like another one of those oh my god like starting over like break down the world everything I have built up for myself to like have a confident view of what I'm doing to kind of just like take a step back from that and then my camera gear got stolen dude I had an anxiety attack I was like holy crap like I gotta just go hit pause for like a month and like I moved home back into my parents' place and like worked landscaping for, I think like what, that would have been like October or it would have been September. I went back September and like September, October, November worked landscaping and got a little bit of insurance money back from um, all my stuff getting stolen and invested in like a new camera and bought a drone. And then that like worked through the new year. And then what is like February, I like sent it out West and started linking up with like a bunch of musician friends I had from college um, and like started filming the music videos. And then COVID hit.
0: Prior to COVID, were you, you were you just working with friends or were you working with musicians that you were meeting for the express purpose of, of filming a music video for them?
1: Yeah. So I like, I have this like fortunate like network um, in like Denver of just like really cool musician friends. Um, like towards my senior year of college, uh, like I started surrounding myself with like a bunch more musicians and I play a little bit of music myself. I don't ever really like call myself a musician, Um, but like I play like percussion and like would play with this one girl, Carly, who she's so sick, like shout out to Carly. Um, Like if any of you guys are out there like looking for some new music, Carly King, like she's at the beginning of um, her own like journey and like she's trying to pursue being a musician. Um, So like I had her, she lives in Jackson, which is where I live right now. and like a few other musician friends from college, uh, Melissa Elliott, super rad, beautiful voice. She's such a sweetheart. Um, and this other band, Monk Ghiatso, um, which was like the last concert I filmed before COVID. And I just went and filmed them in Denver at the same venue again. And it was like a crazy full circle. Um, also really sick crew. Um, it was just like fortune, fortunate to like have that network to then like tap into in that way where I was like, yo, let me make you guys music videos for free because I think I want to start like building up a portfolio and like doing this professionally. Um, And so dude in like from February 15th to March 13th was I think right when COVID hit, I filmed one, two, three, four music videos. Wow, that's crazy to think about. Yeah, filmed four music videos in like that month. And my plan was to go to South by Southwest and just like go network and just go try and like meet some people and like use the work I'd just done and like edited to try and line up some more work. And then like March 13th rolled around a week before South by and everything got canceled. And well, yeah we all went through that crazy
0: yeah when did you so throughout COVID when did you find the time to move to Jackson
1: so COVID was a whole other journey like not just a lot like in my life but I mean a lot in like our country kind of um I mean so what like right when COVID hit I there was like a week period where I was like, not in like denial, but I was like, eh, like, what severity is this? Like, do I just like post up at my friend's house and like wait a few weeks? And then it was like, no, like, like this is serious. So I like left my car in Denver and I was like, all right, I'm going to go fly home for like a month and a half. Went and flew home for a month and a half. Um, And again, like, of a nice break i had like a bunch of editing i needed to do and um i think it's really cool like being able to spend a lot of time with my family which is something that i like forget about so it's really sick to like be there for like a month and a half and um then may 25th like george floyd was killed and all of a sudden it was just like a tipping point with however you want to phrase it but like public perception of just like systemic racism which is I think like the biggest thing that came from that civil rights movement um was just like your average crew of five white kids was like maybe talking about it which is like important really important um what's more important is like being able to break down like your perception of it and being like, yo, like, I'm not racist, like, no way. And it's like, well, the whole like, con- like our country this was like built off racism. And like, even if like, you're not racist, like y- the system is kind of like inherently racist and doesn't, it like works for some people a lot more than it does for others. Like it'll like positively compound for more people than, and like negatively compound for a lot of people and like Sometimes that ends up to being like skewed to like really putting a lot of individuals of color at like di- disadvantages and um, anyways, like that happened. And like, remember I said, I'd like booked a flight home for like a month and a half. My return flight happened to be on like June 1st. And my plan was to go pick up my car because I'd, I'd come to terms that COVID was like not just a quick go fly home for a month and I went out to go pick up my car and like, I was gonna maybe go camping with a buddy for a week in the desert and then like drive home to Connecticut and just like stay back East for the whole summer and ended up like flying in on Monday, June 1st. And um, kind of just like the point I was at in my life with like videography and like what I was kind of compelled to do when I was like in Uganda was just like storytelling. I was like, dude, I have to go downtown to the capital, like I just have I just have to go see what's going on and what state is this in Denver Denver Colorado yeah and I like went down to the Capitol and just like started filming and just like talking to people and um, it was crazy like that day like the chief of police marched with a few different like leaders And like, I was like three feet away, like covering, like with my camera, like right on the front lines. And there was like 13,000 person March. And it was, dude, it was crazy. I was sitting around and I was like, dude, this is history. Like, this is crazy. Like, I don't know what this means, but like, it means something. There's like 13,000 people in this city, like let alone every other city across the whole country. And like, even in like other countries. And It just seemed really important and i like have a few friends in denver who like were gracious enough to let me just literally sleep on their floor and dude i ended up filming the protests in denver for like two months which is crazy
0: and were you you working for anyone on that assignment or was that just all freelance
1: that was all alone i never i still have not made a dollar off any of that footage And my intentions were not to, my intentions were like, I don't know what any of my intentions are. It's just like, this is important. And like, I feel like selfishly, this is an incredible opportunity for me to like figure out how to like cover historic events with my camera, which is like what I've been wanting to try and do. And um, yeah, it was just, it's it's just like, I'm so fascinated with like, real life like real life through the lens of a camera Mm -hmm. and like it's crazy like it was just it was crazy like i like yeah um we went to this trump rally in tulsa first trump rally since covid and uh it was on it was initially scheduled on juneteenth um which is like wildly controversial to like think about and especially in Tulsa where like there's history of like the Tulsa race massacres um, and like Black Wall Street. It was just like pretty crazy. And like, I would known that like Tulsa has like a pretty crazy Juneteenth celebration. So we were like, dude, this has gotta be fascinating. I had like met up with these two other kids at protests and we were like, yo, we should go to Tulsa. And I was like, I wanna go film. And so we went got a super cheap motel in Tulsa and uh, filmed the Trump rally and then like the Juneteenth celebration and ended up like making a video about it. And then we were like, yo, like, what do we do? Like, let's post this video. And so we like made this account called It's a Lot to Explain and ended up posting like that video on it. And like, again, it was like, I don't know what we're doing. Like, I don't know but like this is crazy and this is happening right now and it's fascinating and ultimately it's a lot to explain. Like, oh, like so many of the protests that like I went to and like I happened to go to so many protests where it's like, it's a lot to explain, dude. Like you have, con- you 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 I, I had so many like conversations with individuals about like, you're like, how do we move forward? How do we move forward? And like, there is such a diverse range of answers to that question that it was like oh my god like I don't know how we're going to move forward and then like that's a reflection of like politics in the U.S. right now too where I happen to like maybe align more with extremists on the left than extremists on the right but like they're both ignorant.
0: Mm-hmm. Anyone that that rooted in like in an ideology isn't taking a step back very frequently.
1: no no. Um, and so, I mean, like, there were lots of moments where I'm like at protests. I'm like, yo, I don't agree with what's happening in front of me right now, but like, I agree with like what this gathering of individuals stands for, but like, I don't agree with like what you're doing right now. And that was where it's like, yo, like, (laughs) it's a lot to explain. It just seemed so logical, had no idea like what we were doing. Um, but we ended up making like four other videos. Um, and then I just like burned myself out. And like I had been delivering groceries right when COVID hit. And so like when I went out to Denver to go film the protests, like I wasn't like swimming in cash. I just spent all this money on like a new laptop, camera, drone, and like I was delivering groceries to eat food. And then all of a sudden I just like couldn't deliver groceries anymore. I just didn't have enough energy because like I was just like filming protests and I like had to kind of like make some decisions and I kind of wanted to like work on a documentary. Um, and so there's this kid, Sam, who, Sam Morgan, um, who I'm still like working on this project with, it's kind of been a little bit on, on hold, but like slowly, but surely working itself out. Um, kind of had to like, be like, yo, like I'm going to hit resume on my life, but like keep, working on this project, let's follow the protests and everything that's going on through the election. And then when the like right after the election, like I gotta figure my life out. And um, one of my friend's moms, she called me and was like, Hey Kirk, like I need you to come film a video down in Pennsylvania, like Philadelphia. Like we've got this event going on. It's like cycle to vote. Like it was this grassroots, Cycling organization to try and like get people out in the city biking around, like to help increase voter awareness. And uh, that was like a really sick, crazy, just like random opportunity. I ended up being down there. And while I was down there filming, um, I like had a conversation with a buddy of mine on Instagram. And I was like, I kind of want to move out to Jackson. And she was like, Hey, like my friend can get you a job. And then, like, randomly, a friend was like, Yo, I've got a room in a house. And so I was in Philadelphia, like filming for this random project when all of a sudden I was like, okay, I know what hitting resume in my life looks like. And that's, I'm moving to Jackson Hole and I'm going to ski as much as I can this season because I just worn myself out. And like, I was like, not in a great place mentally. I'd like focus on my mental health again, which is like another thing that like people just brush off. And but it's, it's also another thing. It's like people, like what is happiness? Mm-hmm. Like happiness is such a new concept. Dude, like we are fundamentally like animals that initially were just figuring out how to survive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And like now we can survive. And now it's like, oh my God, like, hap- like like marriage, right? Marriage used to not be based off love. Marriage was like an economic decision it was like yo this strategically makes sense if we combine these two families and i happen to have a daughter and you happen to have a son so let's do this and like get power like had like this whole idea of like the world like everything is fine is like such a like new like romantic idea and like mm-hmm. i think there's so much like it, it it's so powerful to like understand that like and like, not trying to sound all like Buddha, but like life is suffering. And like that, like period, like suffering is constant. Like it always will be. And like it, we, we usually end up in these crazy places when it's like, all of a sudden, like you're suffering a little bit, like things are really hard. And then you're like, why, like, what's wrong with me? Like, why is that now? Like our logical go-to it's like, I dude, I had this conversation with my mom and I was like, mom, like, have you ever had the thought, like, I want to kill myself? I was like, mom, like, have you ever had that thought? And she was like, I mean, like, not like I'm going to kill myself, but like, yeah, like I've, I, I, like, I've had like a moment where I'm like, whoa, like, what if I just ended this? And like, that's, I was like reading this book and it's like, that's not even like that crazy of a thought to have. Like existentialism, like, what the fuck is this? Why am I here? Like, why should I be here? Like, what if I just died? Like, that's like, not that crazy. But then all of a sudden, people are like, oh, my God, like, are you suicidal? And it's like, no, like, I'm just like, like, what the fuck is this? Like, what is this? Like, we aren't designed to live in a world like this. And like, here we are, like hitting fucking handrails. (laughs) What is that? Like, what is this? Just this, like, I think that last like focus of like focusing on like filming like these like protests and then being like, yo, like I got to hit resume in my life because I'm not in a great place right now was this like huge point of realizing, realizing that it's like life is uncomfortable. It should be uncomfortable. Growth is uncomfortable. Breaking down your concept of what reality is like, like this cozy, cushy version of the world that you have in your head, like breaking that down is uncomfortable. And then like all of a sudden, like, where does that leave you? And like, people don't want to be uncomfortable. People don't want to suffer. People don't want to like, and I mean, that was like a big part of like why I moved to Jackson Hole. Like there's many different reasons, but like one of them was I need to reconnect with this thing that like used to consume my life on so many different levels. Um, and like, if I'm doing shit that is like uncomfortable and really difficult, like professionally, then like, I would love to have something that really fills me up that I can do when I have like three hours off. It's like, damn, like it would be so sick to just like go skiing for three hours. Like I just skied like today. Um, I delivered a few subpoenas. (laughs) and we should talk I, about Dude, it. I had to deliver an eviction notice today. That sucked. It was so depressing. It was like, yo, dude, I don't even know you, but you gotta go. Yeah. Um, and then I like skied from like three to four PM and it was so sick.
0: Yeah. I think that um the only way to grow is to step outside your comfort zone and then, you know, deal with that being uncomfortable and find a way to overcome it, and then you grow because of it. Totally. Totally. But, so what's it like to doing the PI stuff and delivering subpoenas?
1: oh dude it's so sick it's so fascinating um so I'm also like doing like a little bit of like photo work with them and like a little bit of videography like I'm gonna I'm gonna film um some like depositions and like sometimes like they'll need like video footage of like an individual to understand like what his state of life is like what quality of life he has like which that's like relevant information in a trial sometimes where it's so fascinating to like have these small little windows into insights of like the way the world works in a way that I wouldn't have ever understood. Like I, I can't talk too much about a lot of the PI stuff, but like I can say like one thing, like I was laying in the back of my car like last week um, at like this house that we had permission to be at like watching to see if some dude was going to go to the liquor store in like a case where like there's custody Mm -hmm. over like the kids and like one individual happens to be an alcoholic it's just like it's fascinating it's like so fascinating I had to deliver divorce papers the other night that was pretty shitty like walk in and like some 11 year old girl answers the door and like there's like a mom cooking and it's like whoa like I'm literally handing you divorce papers that are going to change your life forever and that 11 year old girl's life forever and it's just it's crazy sometimes walk into like a big construction company and you're like yo you guys fucked up and it's like it's cool it's like you just got served
0: do you do that yeah do you do that pineapple express thing where you have to pretend that you're not there to serve the papers and you you know go in and pretend oh yeah i'm looking for so and so and then you're like
1: yep you got served exactly which <laughs> is so funny because dude the amount of times people have commented about pineapple express like i need to go back and rewatch that with the knowledge of like serving subpoenas because yeah that's exactly it that's literally exactly it you like walk in someplace and you try and be like all like hey like how's it going like is so and so here like nothing wrong here <laughs> And then you're like, oh by the way, here's like a request for like 14 documents and like a pretty big lawsuit that's gonna it's be kind of, intense man it's cool it's cool because like there's no personal attachment to it and it was it was like so funny ultimately I was looking for something that was just for the time spent uh, just a, a little bit more lucrative and like mindless than working at a restaurant
0: are is your work like fully um limited to jackson are you like a cowboy driving all around wyoming like pulling up to people's ranches
1: and stuff like are you staying within like the jackson area or are you going out there i've driven a few hours out mm-hmm. which is cool because then like i get paid by the mile and like hourly and um just listen to podcasts but yeah it, again like and this is just like my side gig so like i don't usually have more than like 15 20 hours a week of that And it's just perfect because it doesn't like occupy that much of my capacity. And it's just like mindless. And um, ultimately like I'm working on um, just like my freelance videography career right now.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so why don't you tell people about like the most recent thing, like the music video you just came out with today?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Which, so yeah, so that's a crazy one. I'm working with this band Atlas Gray, uh, Connecticut 860 band. Um, they like grew up in the Hartford area and, uh, yeah, I like through a random series of events, like a little over a year ago, like before COVID hit, um, when I was kind of like at this point where I was like just buying my new camera and like trying to like launch this like videography career, um, I like were did this video with this. Nonprofit that they'd been working with um and like got introduced to one of them and was like hey uh like I'd love to make some music videos for you guys and like that was just like a slow process like we're like over a year and a half like we finally just released like the first music video um which has just been another one of those moments where it's just like it's really cool like it's all it's about the process right but also if you can't appreciate like the little successes, it's like, it's not about where you get, but like, when you accomplish something, it is important to be like, like, celebrate it a little bit. And like, it was really cool. Like, this is the beginning of their whole entire album release, which has been a crazy process, like working with a band and trying to figure out like, like, how are you guys going to release a record during COVID? Like, you can't, like your biggest, your most valuable asset towards marketing yourself is playing in front of a crowd. How are you gonna release an album and have it not just be drowned we- drowned out by the noise? Cause there's so much music out there right now. And so that's been like a fascinating thing to kind of watch them go through. And it's, it's just so sick to finally have like a piece of work out there. And like, this was my first music video that like I fully directed in the U.S. I mean, the first music video I made, I fully directed, which was like with 30 Ugandans and a language barrier. So like that kind of gave me the confidence where I was like, yo, like anything's possible with filming a music video. Um, but this was actually like the first one where like we had dancers that came in from New York city. And like, we had a venue to shoot at like this local restaurant, which had like a banquet hall. Um, and It was really cool to like have, we had two days of shooting and like, I was so nervous about just like people not taking me seriously, people being like, who's this kid like telling me what to do. And then like at the end of it, have all these individuals be like, this was such a positive experience was really cool. Um, And it's like really cool to finally put something out that like we were all super proud of that launches this greater, like who knows, Atlas gray. Um, if you're also looking for like good music, they've got some pretty cool, like ballad rock, which you don't really hear that much anymore. Um, Mm. and yeah, they've got like a super bright future if they, they're so, they're so talented. Um, and it's just like such a pleasure to like be able to work with talented individuals. Um,
0: Definitely. Well, I think we're, we're coming to the end here. So where could people, um, keep up to date on, on your video projects?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so I just like a few weeks ago, um, launched my Instagram and website officially, uh, it's at Scully productions on Instagram and scullyproductions.com. Um, pretty good about like keeping, uh, all the video work that I'm proud of, like on my website. Um, it's just like ultimately like a really good tool to have as like a portfolio for, booking new clients and working with bands. Um, and yeah, a lot of, a lot of hard work has gone into everything on that website. So those are definitely some places to check it out. I still am just me, my Instagram name, Scullymon, and, um, definitely a big thing I struggle with. I'm like, yo, like, should I just embrace the personal brand? But it's really nice to have like a business card that has like a professional instagram where like you can just have someone just go land and look at all your work and make a split decision not be like oh well here's what he did on monday and like here's what he did professionally on wednesday and like here's his girlfriend and like here's something it's just super nice to like separate the two
0: yeah definitely cool well so the so some behind the scenes we threw this we threw this podcast together within 24 hours for all the listeners. So, this was a 2 a.m. setup and then a 8 p.m. execution. So, all the, we, we only got a few viewer questions, but they were already answered while we were talking. So, shout out Jake and uh, Rolf and Grant who submitted questions. Hopefully, you guys got your satisfactory answers. I just want to thank you for coming on. That was a super great discussion. Talked a lot of, talked about like a lot of big picture things. So, that was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, dude. Thank you uh, so much for having me. It's so funny. I'm like such an imp- like everyone who knows me, like I'm a pretty impulsive kid. And so it's like, so funny. I'll like have an idea dude. Yesterday I was on one. I just had like so many ideas. I was like, yo, like we should do this podcast. Now feels like a right time to do this. Um, so yeah. Thanks for having me on and like turning it around quickly. You were just like, yep, dude, 8 30 PM tomorrow. Let's do it.
0: Hell yeah. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. It was a long one. I hope you guys all uh, stuck until the end. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure.